everyone, and welcome to Soccer 101. My name is Joe Lowry, and on this episode, we're talking all about soccer's phases of play. In the past, you may have overheard a group of coaches talking about phases of play, or maybe you scanned through a soccer tactics thread on Twitter, got a bit overwhelmed with all of the tactical jargon that gets thrown around in those threads, and kept on scrolling. If you've ever heard of phases of play, or read about soccer's phases of play in the past, and are still confused about the whole concept, we're going to get to the bottom of it today. To peel back the curtain and make our learning journey just a little easier, I'm going to go ahead and give us an outline for this episode. First, we're going to define what the term phase of play means. Then we're going to pinpoint exactly what soccer's phases are and how they connect to each other. Then, and finally, we'll walk through examples that illustrate those phases and give us some insight into their intricacies. With that rundown out of the way, are you ready to rock and roll? I'm going to assume that the answer is yes, because we're going to go ahead and get started. When someone mentions a phase of play in soccer, what are they talking about? What does the term mean? Well, let's break it down. A phase is a period or a stage in a progression. Let me give you an example. We've all heard someone, when they're talking about their moody teenager, say, Oh, it's just a phase. The thing is, they're right. That teenager will almost certainly emerge out of teenagehood, with their emotions at least a little more in check. It's not always a smooth process to move past the teenage years, but they'll get there, because those years are a phase. They end and lead to the next phase, adulthood. We know what a phase is, but what's a phase of play? To figure that out, all we have to do is take the concept of phases and apply it to a soccer game. In soccer, teams go through different stages. In one stage, they might have possession of the ball. In another stage, they might be back defending against an opposition attack. One stage, or phase, ends, and another one starts. For the most part, it's a continuous thread of actions with relatively little time between them. Maybe the best comparison for soccer's phases of play is the moon's phases. As the moon rotates around the earth, and the earth rotates around the sun, we see the moon's phases. It goes from a new moon, to a crescent, to halfway visible, to mostly there, to a full moon. One phase leads to another, that leads to another, that leads to another. The same thing happens in soccer. One phase leads to the next phase, which leads to the next phase. Okay, we have now officially defined the term phases of play, at least on a conceptual level. So now it's time to flesh out what those phases actually are. Let's start with a bird's eye view list of soccer's phases. The widely accepted theory, and the one that I subscribe to, is that there are four phases in soccer's open play. There's possession, defensive transition, defending, and attacking transition. A very, very large percentage of the actions that happen in a soccer game fall under one of those four categories. Possession, defensive transition, defending, and attacking transition. And if we look closely, we can see the string that connects all of the phases together. When a team has the ball, what's the next most likely thing that's going to happen? They're probably going to lose the ball. I mean, scoring is hard, right? The odds that a team is going to score a goal on any given possession is super, super low. When a team does lose the ball, they immediately enter into a transition moment. A defensive transition moment, to be precise. It's called that because the team is moving from attacking to defending. In the defensive transition phase, a team will usually try to win the ball back with some quick, aggressive pressure. And if that pressure doesn't work, they'll drop back and enter the next phase. Straight up, run-of-the-mill defending. We can think about a team in the defensive phase in the exact same way that we just thought about a team in the possession phase. Scoring goals is hard, which means that the defensive team is probably not going to get scored on. 
they're likely going to win the ball back and immediately enter the attacking transition phase as they move from defending to attacking. The attacking transition phase is pretty much just a counterattack. You win the ball and attack quickly. There's probably space to exploit and green grass to run into, so go for it. Exploit that space and run into that green grass. But if your counterattack comes up empty and you have to slow things down and set up your attacking structure, congratulations, you're back to the first phase, possession. It's a cycle. A team has the ball, they lose the ball, they try to get the ball back, they do get the ball back, and then they attack again. Sure, the cycle gets interrupted sometimes when silly things like goals happen, or when the ball goes out of play for a throw-in, or when the referee whistles for a foul. Roughly speaking, though, soccer teams cycle through the phases of play for 90-ish minutes. At this point, we've got a solid list of our four phases, and we've even got an understanding of how those phases relate to each other. In just a minute, we're going to dig into each individual phase and talk about some coaches who prepare their teams to execute the different phases really well. But first, this episode of Soccer 101 is brought to you by ExpressVPN. I've spent enough time writing and prepping for podcasts at libraries and coffee shops to know that sketchy public Wi-Fi just isn't really the way to go. When you or I connect to public Wi-Fi, we have no idea what's happening behind the scenes. I try not to assume the worst in people, but there's a good chance that someone's snooping on my internet searches or trying to steal my information when I'm on public Wi-Fi. And that's not cool. To be honest with you, I'd prefer it if people didn't invade my digital privacy. Enter ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN reroutes and encrypts my internet connection and takes my public Wi-Fi worries away at the exact same time. ExpressVPN is easy to use, it runs super smoothly, and it keeps my browsing safe and secure, like a small, swaddled baby. If, like me, you're aware of the dangers that come with a questionable Wi-Fi network, go to expressvpn.com soccer, and you can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. Again, that's expressvpn.com soccer for three months free on a one-year package. Thank you to ExpressVPN for sponsoring this episode of Soccer 101. Now, let's get back to detailing the ins and outs of soccer's four phases of play. Because the phases are cyclical, we could jump in anywhere in this cycle. But to get us rolling again, let's start with possession. Honestly, it's the most fun phase and I'm more of a dessert-before-dinner guy anyway, so possession it is. The basic goal of ball possession is the same basic goal of soccer. You want to move the ball forward and put it in the back of the net. I'm not blowing any minds here. It's a straightforward concept, but that doesn't mean it's easy to execute. Pep Guardiola has spent his entire coaching career focused on maximizing his team's effectiveness when they have the ball. Guardiola told The Guardian in 2015, For me, it is the most important thing, talking about possession. With the ball, you have more possibilities to create something and to concede fewer chances. Over the years, Guardiola's teams have probably embodied the possession phase better than anyone else. Has it been all sunshine and roses? No. But Guardiola has put together some really, really good possession teams. His pass and move 4-3-3 was on full display with Barcelona in the late 2000s and the early 2010s. If you haven't seen that team play, YouTube is about to become your best friend. Then, later with Bayern Munich and now with Manchester City, Guardiola has continued to prioritize possession and get creative with offensive tweaks. Those tweaks were, and still are, designed to boost his team's ability to score goals in the possession phase. Try as he might, Pep Guardiola will never perfect his attacking setup. That's just not how soccer works. For as long as he coaches, Pep will be forced to watch from the sidelines as his team loses the ball a bunch of times every game. That sounds kind of ominous, sorry about that. Turnovers aren't all that bad though, I promise. 
they aren't that bad because they signal a change from possession to the next phase of play, defensive transition. In modern soccer, the term defensive transition is pretty much synonymous with the term counterpressing, or gegenpressing, if you want to get all German on me. Counterpressing simply means pressing a potential counterattack. You counterpress to stop your opponents from counterattacking. This is slightly random, but I think it's interesting that all of soccer's phases have an equal and opposite phase. I'm no Isaac Newton, but I know that when one team is in possession, the other team is defending, and vice versa. And when one team is counterpressing, the other team is trying to stop a counterattack, and vice versa. I don't know if that's a helpful way to think about soccer's phases of play, but I think it might be. Anyway, back to the defensive transition phase. Jurgen Klopp's Borussia Dortmund team in the late 2000s and the early to mid-2010s made counterpressing famous. That Dortmund team really made the whole concept of defensive transition famous. Though he didn't invent the idea, Klopp has explained the value of pressing after you lose the ball quite succinctly in the past, saying, Gagan pressing lets you win the ball back nearer to the goal. Under Klopp, Dortmund swarmed the area around the ball, using their defensive transition moments almost as a way to attack. Because pressure in the defensive transition phase usually occurs high up the field, it can result in a really good attacking chance. According to Klopp, no playmaker in the world can be as good as a good gegenpressing situation, and that's why it's so important. It's a good point, one that I don't think even playmaker extraordinaire Kevin De Bruyne could disagree with. Like Pep and his beloved possession, Klopp will never completely perfect the defensive transition phase. And when his team, and other teams from all around the world, fail to win the ball back with aggressive pressure after a turnover, they're forced to drop back and enter the defensive phase. When they're not high-pressing or counter-pressing, teams defend in some sort of block near the halfway line or closer to their own goal. The idea of the defensive phase is to compress space and make life as difficult as possible for the offensive team. Usually, a team will defend with a couple of lines of four or five players to cover ground vertically and horizontally. Diego Simeone's Atletico Madrid in their trusty 4-4-2 is probably the most prevalent modern example of a team maximizing the defensive phase of play. Simeone sets up his defensive structure with a bunch of players in the center of the field, blocking the opposition's easy and direct path to goal. His players move as a unit. They're connected, almost like links on a chain. When one player moves, the other nine outfield players move with him. Because they're so good at making life miserable for the opposition by shifting together and constricting space, Atletico Madrid win the ball back a lot. When they do, it's phase four time, baby. That's the attacking transition phase. When you get the ball back, you want to attack quickly so that the other team doesn't have time to set up their counterpress or to get back into their structured defensive shape. The few seconds of defensive chaos after the ball is turned over is exactly when the attacking team wants to make their move. Jose Mourinho's Real Madrid team was filthy good in attacking transition, winning La Liga in the 2011-2012 season. Forwards Cristiano Ronaldo, Karim Benzema, Gonzalo Higuain, and Angel Di Maria would race forward into the attacking half and overwhelm a recovering defense. It might not always be the prettiest way to play soccer, but teams that focus on defending, like Simeone's Atletico Madrid, and attacking directly in transition, like Mourinho's Real Madrid, can be really, really hard to stop. Don't get me wrong. Controlling the ball in possession like Guardiola and pressing on turnovers like Klopp has its advantages too. Those coaches wouldn't be coaching two of the biggest clubs in the world if they weren't doing something right. Having gone through the four phases of play individually, it's important to remind ourselves that all of the phases are connected. Each team enters every phase in every game. Pep still has to prepare his team to defend in a block. 
Klopp still has to rely on his players to make plays in possession. Simeone still has to get his team comfortable with pulling the chain higher up the field, and Mourinho still has to teach his team to slow down and hold the ball. Teams can't just do one thing or live in one phase forever. That's why soccer's four phases of play are important. Because like it or not, you're going to see a lot of all four phases. That wraps up this episode of Soccer 101. We went in on soccer's phases of play, how they relate to each other, and which coaches coach teams that best exemplify each phase. I've been Joe Lowry. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening.